Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What is going on, folks of the magic world? See, we have, we have, two, we have two special guests today. Wow. This is our second time doing double guests. First... From the internets and Skype, also Brainstorm Brewery, Jason Alt. Hey, everybody. What's up, man? How's, how's I got introduced first. I think that's telling. <laughs> well, Jimmy's, uh, Jimmy's distracted by I am something. a little distracted by and, magic cards, eh? Apparently they spoiled the surprise, our bonus guest, Jimmy Wong. Jimmy Wong, I'm a master of modern. I played the format twice in my life. Here we go. Let's talk about it. <laughs> uh, Jimmy, I think there's something we will probably want to talk about before we talk about that. It's sure. You're, it's, you're tending to your flock, so to speak, right now. Yeah, so uh, this last weekend, I went up to Oregon. Uh, my girlfriend, Abby, uh, Camp Council's up there, and she uh, they had like a performance at the end of the camp counseling week, so I wanted to go see that. I was originally going to go camp council with her, but uh, work got in the way, um, so I just visited for a few days, and Abby's father loves to uh, do goodwill hunting. And I've talked to, last time when Jason was on our show, The Commands like on I... helping students who are really good at math get better at math <laughs> and, like, yeah. become, you know, heavy physicists and help the world Heavy Goodwill yeah, hunting, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. And win a couple Oscars along the way. Uh, so he, he loves to go to Goodwill, and I told him the last time I saw him, like, hey, you know, if you see any boxes of Magic cards, uh, just pick them up. You know, just, like, anything that looks old, anything that might be in a sleeve, you know, just stuff that potentially could have value because... I think the smaller the city you're in, the higher chance you have of, of potentially luck sacking into something sweet. Um, because if you're in a big city like L.A. going to Goodwills and stuff, chances are someone's already been there before you right. or it's going to end up online somewhere. So uh, he found a couple boxes and I was looking through them when I was at his house and uh, one of them just had the word trades on it. I was like, oh, trades. All right, well, let's, let's, see, let's see what's in here. It's this old BCW box. It's all beat up. I opened it up and it's a box of lands. So already off to a great start. Yeah. Uh, because you never know what's going to happen inside that box. I started, I started going through, and I nearly pooped my pants because I saw a wasteland, and I was like, oh, God, here we go. That's a win right there. That's a win that right there. That paid for the whole A $5 BCW box right there, one yeah. wasteland, and I saw another wasteland. Yeah, it's two, holding them right in front and of me. And I, I saw an underground sea. I saw a volcanic island. Well, let me, let me get, can I, I'm going to give, I'm holding my hand, actually, let me give you the count on, sure, on these cards. Sure, let's go for so it. So two wastelands. Oof. Two volcanic islands, two Caracas, <laughs> four tropical island. Just a playset, no big. Six tundra, <laughs> three underground sea, and then a bayou, some plateaus, some badlands, a scrubland, a four. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, uh, so think I, you made out pretty good. I made up like a bandit. Those are pretty five... good uh, trades, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> this kid, I don't know where he was trading with him, but he definitely knew what he was collecting in that box, and he probably hates his mom for sending it to Goodwill. Jimmy, I have an old beat-up box that says trades on it in my class. I'll trade you. <laughs> box for box? Sure, man. <laughs> See what you find in mine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so that's my that's my exciting story, and that's probably all I have to contribute to this podcast. Yeah. I'm, I'm just a lucky bastard. Jimmy's just, he's just going gonna, gonna to only halfway pay attention to us because he's like, Putting some cards of his new cards into his EDH deck. Yeah, my deck's gotta get upgraded, bruh. Let me just put this underground scene into this deck really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so 
that kind of segues into the subject at hand. Today we're going to talk about, and we've had a lot of people on Twitter ask us about this, uh, we're going to talk about modern finance and specifically the giant bubble that we're currently living in. Modern mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. once again, one of the most expensive things you can do out there. People are freaking out that it's too expensive, we can't play it. We got Jason on, on the podcast because he is our resident finance expert for other podcasts and we figured he'd be good about talking on this podcast. So yeah, so that's what we're talking about today. What are people's opinions? Is modern too expensive? Well, I guess a little precursor is that recently modern has seen a giant price spike, right? Huge. Every week, Dex price spike based off of GPs. Mm-hmm. And I guess, okay, so maybe maybe to explain, and Jason, you can jump in at any time if you want to correct me, um, why this is happening. So for a lot of people, they don't really remember for some reason that, you know, magic pre-TQ, or PTQs before now, pre-TQs happened in seasons, but before the seasons were announced, it used to just be like random. And so moderns kind of just stay level. And then with the appreciate, like people expecting modern 2015, modern masters 2015 to come in, they, it just kind of didn't go anywhere because people didn't know it was going to be reprinted. They were afraid that it would affect the market. They thought it might be overprinted. Mm-hmm. And then all at once, modern masters 2015 came out and they, you know, pretty much a little bit more of a larger print run than the first time around, but not that much larger, followed by three GPs and modern season happening all at once. For so, pre-TQs. For and pre-TQs. So, like, the demand skyrocketed overnight. I mean, there's a couple pretty crazy things that are happening right now that are kind of startling, honestly. Uh, the first one that I'm noticing is, so they shifted the, the PPTQ format away from the original PTQ format. And currently, mm-hmm. as you said, we're in modern season. These are supposed to be tournaments that, in terms of size and level of competition, loosely resemble what GPTs used to be. Something something we talked about it on here, 25 to 40-ish. That's kind of what you expect, because you have to win one of these to even get an invite to a regional. I've gone to three modern PPTQs in the last three weeks. Uh, the numbers of those, 66, 68, and 74. One person walks away from that thing with a win, and that—that's. I mean, these are these are supposed to be small tournaments, right? That, mm-hmm. And these these are all people coming up playing premier decks with four Snapcaster Mages and and you know four Tarmogoyfs and all the fetch lands. Like it, the demand for the format, the demand for the cards in the format, and specifically for the the uh, sideboard cards that didn't get reprinted, like Blood Moon, for instance, are way off the charts, and uh, I really. It's hard to imagine a lot of those cards coming down anytime soon. I mean, we thought we thought Modern Masters 15 was overprinted. It seemed like it. I'm just waiting in like two, three months from now. How much higher are those cards going to have gone from where they are now? It, it's also like with, and this is what happened before, because Modern is the summer season, it means people are already trying to sell out a standard. So this is where kind of you kind of put your collection into. When standard's about to rotate, you sell all your cards and you're like, okay, time for me to like put my money that I've spent on magic into the one format that will, you know, not lose value this mm-hmm. September. And so modern classically is where you go. And since modern, like all of this stuff is kind of like in a perfect storm is called prices to balloon. Um, would a you, summer bloom, you might say. Uh, is that a bad joke? No, no, no. I got, a, I got a tweet today. <laughs> <laughs> I got a tweet today about Grover the Burn Willows. Grover the freaking Burn Willows. Oh, that card's been like 40 bucks Sold forever. out below $80. Oh, what? $75? $75 for Grove. Like, Wait, isn't that more than some of the original Dual Lands? Yeah, like $75. And it's it's only more than a, Taiga. It's a, four of, in, it's a four of in one modern deck. Right. Like one. That's it. Well, here's the deal. 
Um, it's really easy to buy 11 copies of Grover the Burnwellows on TCG Player for $45 each. Oh, right. You and... spent 500 bucks, and they're like, oh, no, it's sold out at 50 And then you list one copy for 80 and everyone else goes into their binder and is like, I got to Grover the Burnwellows. They throw it up for 75 and that's it. That's how you get a $75 Grove of the Burnwells. It's real easy. Well, Jeez. I mean, so so that, that kind of jumps into the subject, the speculator market. Do we want to get into that quite yet? Yeah, we, do. Okay. Yeah, we can get it right now. So the, the basic theory behind speculation, and this is something that gets talked about all the time, is it's, it's just supply and demand, right? So you can't artificially inflate the price of a card unless you're willing to own a significant portion of the stock of that card that exists in the world. You would have to, if as you said... If it's $45 and you went and you bought every single copy of that card that existed at $45 and then immediately started reselling it, everybody else that did the same thing that you did would do the same thing, reflood the market with supply once again, and the price would immediately drop back to the mean. So you have to actually hold on to a significant portion of the supply unless somehow the demand immediately, for whatever reason, just outstrips on that one particular asset. I also feel like, because a lot of people get mad because they think speculators are just doing buyouts, and I think when you look at cards like this card, a $45 card is hard and a really, really, really risky financial investment to do a buyout for one of these guys. Absolutely. The cards you need to look at when this happens that are like more spiked due to this kind of behavior is stuff like the Green Shoal yeah. that just like went up to $17 and that was a buyout because it did well in one deck. It was an old enough card where it's probably not the easiest thing to get infinite copies of. So they're just like, oh, I'm just going to buy all of these. You go to Star City, you go to TCG Player and you go to like Trail Fireball, you buy them all out and then you're in a room of no shoals being online and now it's $17. Want to hear something real unpopular? Yeah. yeah. It's a real unpopular opinion, and it happens to be true. <laughs> That's the best kind of opinion, by the way. Players are real upset about speculators. Like, oh, Lantern Insight's $5? Really, speculators? Lantern Insight? It's not speculators running out and buying Lantern of Insight, because we've already got them. Mm -hmm. We've got them right. in bulk. So we're going through our bulk and pulling that out, and in the meantime... Players are like, wow, I saw that Lantern Insight deck did pretty well. I better go buy four of them. That's right. all it is. It's, it's this card's being, you know, shown on camera. And, you know, Star City's got 24 copies of Lantern of Insight. That's six guys watching the coverage going, I might want to build that deck someday. Right. No, and buying all the copies. Just... So, it, But once it's all sold out. So here's the deal. You don't have to buy out every copy on the Internet anymore. It used to be you had to. Mm -hmm. But now there's so much fear around it. People don't want to miss the next card. They don't want to like, they're like, oh, I had four green shoals in my shopping cart for $2 and I didn't click buy. And now they're 15 Everybody is afraid to miss the boat. So everyone buys cards they don't need just in case they might want them. That's what we saw with Food Chain. That Food Chain Griffins deck was a deck for, uh, for uh, since they spoiled Griffin. Right. You know, food chain spiked from like two dollars to, you know, six dollars. And then, you know, kind of, you know, it went to like maybe ten and stayed around five ish. And then right. it went from like five to twenty five. The second time that deck like top aided a forty five person legacy Sunday SCG thing is the second time that that uh, that deck got in a top eight. Players are like, I, I had a bunch of people tell me I, I just went and bought four food chains just in case I ever want to make the deck. And it was EDH demand that was making that like a, a five to ten dollar card. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Um, well, I mean, when the when... price never recovered because no one's in a real hurry to pay twenty five and then sell them for fifteen later. Sure. Yeah, I mean, what what it comes down to is 
player demand is so much larger than speculator demand could ever be. There's so many more of us than like the 30 guys all doing finance. I mean, obviously it's a larger number than that, but it, when it comes, like the other thing is, I don't know how bad it is. Yes, some of these decks, when they come out, they're like, oh, this one card is new and great and you need it for this deck. But pretty much every deck in Modern has a price bottom. And there's, that's what's going to exist for every format. Standard has the exact same situation. So here, here's my question. This is the... Uh, it steps outside of Modern Finance. It's more just Magic Finance for a quick second. It's fine. The most stable investment in Magic you can make, it seems, to date, is to buy sealed product and hold on to it for several years. Because on, on a practically linear grid over the last 10 years, every set that comes out, every year or two or mm -hmm. three or four, it seems to appreciate just a little bit. At the very least, at the very least, you never lose money on buying sealed product and sitting on it. It'll just resell for what you paid for it if you buy it at retail when it's current. So if that's the formula, I mean, if you truly, honestly can, can guarantee appreciation on product, some of these products, like take boxes of Lorwyn or Rise of the Eldrazi or stuff like that, these things are so much more expensive to buy the sealed product than the actual cards inside could possibly be, unless you pulled multiple foils of the Chase Rares. Right. That seems to be that's like the one consistent asset in Magic that's not gonna it's not gonna bust. It's not gonna depreciate. Why don't people just do that? Why? I think I think it's really similar. It's to, not sexy. That's yeah. I mean, and, and that's kind of it plays out similar to how bonds and stocks work in the real world, where bonds are the safer bet. And they kind of say you should, based off of your age, subtract like 100, and then that percentage should be what percentage you have of bonds versus stocks. Because bonds don't make you a ton of money, but they slowly make you money over time, and they're consistent, and you can guarantee it. Mm -hmm. While stocks can make you boatloads of money, but like can also lose all your money. So you want to keep your risk tolerance low there. So in Magic, buying boxes of sealed product is like, okay, well, I'm making sure my money that I'm investing in magic is going into this collection. Yeah, but like when but, but like when do you think okay, what what's your guess cuz I haven't looked recently. What's a what's a sealed box to future sites sell for nowadays? I would guess in the 7 to 800s. I would guess more than that. Considering it's We can look it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if that's the case, future site is 7 years old. Uh, how much do you think boxes, sealed boxes of future site were selling for at the inception of the modern format? When it was announced, do you think that they doubled? Because I'll bet you since the time Modern was announced to now, bucks. I'll bet you far more than that. No, 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 At the beginning of Modern, it was $300. Yeah, so what I'm saying oh, is right. if you've seen five to $600 appreciation in that time, that's a stock that if you bought those boxes for 85 when they were current, it's taken you seven years to get 10 times your money back. That, in my opinion, is the value of a crazy stock. Yeah, but if you bought... Yeah, but uh, how much is a sealed box of planar chaos worth? I mean, Let's more than you paid up. for it. A hell of a lot more than you paid for it. Probably at least yeah, twice as much. Probably like four hundo. So, you still got you know, if you buy ten boxes, you got a thousand dollars tied up in just ten boxes. And yeah, they'll appreciate, but like you're waiting five to seven years. You know that that sometimes that's that's really too much to to, to be to have a thousand dollars tied up that you can't touch. It's uh, also, for some people. It's also mm -hmm. not very liquid. Like sealed product isn't. A liquid product because as soon as you sell to someone they're buying it to open it singles you can trade for value trade away when you need it borrow from friends like they're much more usable on a day-to-day -day basis and it's much easier to sell a single tarmogoyf than an entire box of future sites yeah they're like bonds that you gotta wait for five to seven years for them to mature before you can even do anything right. with them so like stable that money but sunk. slow growth 
Right, yeah, but I mean, it's not a bad investment. I would argue that the best investment in MTG Finance is actually collections. Because you could pay 40% of the value of the cards, and people are happy to sell for that. Just to get it all off at one in one swift go. Yep. So you're, you're... you got to have a retail out to like to make anything. Mm-hmm. You're not going to want to buy it by list and turn around and resell it by list. you got to have a retail out, whether that's TCG Player or you know, like the deal I got set up where... Uh, the LGS near me that where I buy my comic books isn't super interested in selling magic cards. Right. So I pay him 15% for a display case. So he sells the cards. He gives me, you know, 85% of what I make and he pays for the overhead of the store, but he doesn't have to deal with magic singles. He gets more foot traffic in the store. It's a really good symbiotic relationship we've got going. And like we said on our Command Zone podcast, you also get the display case, and you just walk with this giant display case out of the store, right? This right. beautiful oh, yeah, that, glass box. <laughs> he, he does not know that, that, that the, the display case is part of the deal. So <laughs> the conclusion of the deal, when I take the case out, he's going to shake his fist at me probably <laughs> I, and, there, and there are people that try that do private vending like that where they don't own a store they just they buy they shop for collections and they they get booths at tournaments and they just try to sell cards at tournaments and right you yeah can, you can conventions things like that i mean you can do i mean it, you it, could be yeah you could be the guy that does that is the hookup on the local facebook group you know anytime someone's like i need this you're the guy that's like i've got that right because right. mm-hmm. uh, you're always buying and selling like there are a lot of ways to out near retail and having people know that you're always buying Right, they'll take forty to sixty percent of the value of the card. Honestly, right, right. I just, I just pay what an average buy list price is, and you can't go wrong paying what dealers are paying. Right. So convenience alone really does sell a lot of these collections, and I, I can see that being a good investment. My main thing is though, like people that are worried about, or or just the people that are complaining about Modern's prices and where they're going. No one, none of these people are collectors. These are all just players that want to get in, and they're just upset. And, and part of this is, you know. People are complaining because all these cards are spiking, but some of this is a reaction to Masters of Modern reprinting a bunch of cards. Some of this is cards in Modern need to be worth X amount of dollars if you add all of them together. And that's just how the economy of that system works, and that's how general economies work. And so when they flooded the market with a bunch of Masters of Modern 2015 cards, all of these other cards that before that point have kind of not gone up, a lot of stuff like from Innistrad Block rebound it was like okay no, these are the these are the chips these are the cards that are like harder to get your hands on so these are now going to be worth a lot of money which is why liliana and snapcard major are both a hundred dollars now mm-hmm. well that was that was um that was something that had been happening a year before modern masters came out dealers had started to go after uh snapcaster a little bit hard because they reasoned if they're going to do a modern masters every two years which it looks like they're going to do that's you know that's right. the protected pattern um, if they're going to do it every two years, that means we got two years of selling hundred dollar Snapcasters before they go down to forty five or whatever. Right, right. I don't even think when I don't even think when Snapcaster gets reprinted in seventeen, there's any chance it's going to go down to forty five because you'd have to print way too many. In, it, it'll get reprinted at Mythic, right? It seems. Insane. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think it necessarily has to. That's fair. I mean, Noble Hierarch wasn't, but Noble Hierarch was seventy is now forty, so I guess that's kind of the pattern. But I wouldn't be surprised if Noble Hierarch was back to seventy by the end of the summer. <laughs> that so okay. So let's yeah. so let's talk Turkey then for a second. Instead of instead of thinking about the patterns of, of where things are now and how it's gotten here, let's talk about modern as a healthy format going forward and what we can expect from the market over say let's just say the next what we're just right now into fifteen. Let's talk four years. Let's talk until nineteen comes out. So 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 if you've got one more by the time Modern Masters 19, if we're assuming that that's the pattern comes out, you have two more releases and you have a bunch more years of Magic cards between now and then. Do we expect that the format is healthy enough 
and liked enough by the, the general like Spike and Timmy and Johnny player base that we can just sort of sustain this. Everybody complains about the price, but seems to just want to play the format. That's where we're at now. Is people complain, but the format's crazy popular. Right, mm-hmm. but this is a format that Wizards created for the purpose of being in this exact situation. This is where Legacy was, but worse, five years ago, where SCG was doing weekly tournaments. It was super popular, but there was literally a barrier to entry that people couldn't get past because they couldn't reprint cards legally. But from they can reprint modern, so they just but in modern, replace it. it just, well, well it, the two things, yeah, they can reprint modern, but also people have the cards. Mm-hmm. Like the right. cards people are playing in modern now were their standard cards a few years ago. So if they just hung on to that stuff. Right. Versus like, oh, you didn't play in 1994 when everybody had underground seas and were just like trading underground seas for Shivan dragons. That's too bad. But if you look at it also, like the cards they focused on reprinting a lot are also the from the sets pre the magic boom of Magic 10, 2010. So, like, if you look at all of these, like, Tarmogoyf and Vendelian Click, a lot of these normally high-budget items are from sets before that period, and they've slowly done their best and, like, made sure with Modern Masters and Modern Masters 2 to make sure these cards were in it to kind of get these cards in the players' hands. Well, it's also sweet. Like, the, the one thing I will say to, to their credit and, and why Modern is more accessible, if you're somebody who's played for several years, right, and... Mind you, I sold my entire collection in 2012 or 13, something like that. Right. Like, I liquidated for, like, a several thousand dollars, and I only kept things that were worth, like, a dollar or less, right? I mean, I have 60,000 magic. Well, that's how you paid for all of your suits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I very kept valid, very valid point. was, like, a common or an uncommon that was a dollar or less. But I'm going back through now to old boxes of commons and uncommons that two, three years ago weren't worth anything, and I'm finding hundreds of dollars in cards in modern commons. I found 11 Serum Visions the other day. Just stacked up in Seattle. I was like, oh, this is nice. That yeah. is quite nice. <laughs> yeah, I, like I found a one heritage druid. Apparently everyone needs to go to the northwest side of the United <laughs> States. Pick up to just pick up sweet deals. Yeah, deals. I'm actually looking at prices for plane tickets to Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> Even like Jimmy's absolutely right. The fewer people the uh, higher chance. For a couple of reasons. A, it's fewer people going to Goodwill and you know, having a scene there that people will snap up any card anywhere in the city mm-hmm, right? because there's just so many people looking. But B, people have fewer outs. If there's not a good LGS, people are probably inclined to like, oh, I bought these at Walmart. Nobody really plays. I guess I'll just take them. Right. Away. Yeah, that's a good point. It's also parts of the country, like smaller cities are the, the places that a lot of times second generations move away. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of parents and 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 or grandparents in like these neighborhoods and like well my son moved to new york to be a part of the big city and he left all of his crap here i'm just gonna get rid of it i don't need this stack of comic books and this box of magic cards and they put at the goodwill because they're like oh, i don't know what to do with this and then jimmy wong over here flies in all sneaky flies and starts in, grabbing boxes everywhere he walks in and he says excuse me good sir do you have any magic do you cards have any magic cards i'm pretty sure this is a a and e reality show <laughs> <laughs> well, well no sir are they, are they worth it of course not <laughs> of course not they are the most worthless pieces of cardboard you'll ever they're see. worth selling to me yeah <laughs> here's a check for 50 dollars <laughs> that's the most money i've ever seen mister sorry i was I got really into my part. Of the guy. <laughs> <laughs> I 
That was method act. I'm sorry. That was pretty good. I, I appreciate Jimmy it. Jimmy, and this—he's got like at this point, he's got like a pocket watch and a monocle, and like <laughs> yeah. he's got like the Monopoly guy hat. He just like walks out of the store, just throwing Monopoly money. All right, next, it's going. Go this on. is a huge tangent. <laughs> Off the rails. All right. So anyway, so oh, but I did want to go back to something we were talking about before. And yes, people were looking at cards like Snapcaster Mage and Liliana, knowing that those sets were not going to be included in Modern Masters. But if you look at these last three weeks and these huge spikes, a lot of these cards are the cards that like. Goryo's Vengeance, where Goryo's Vengeance was on everyone's radar, but it was also on everyone's radar for a pretty decent chance of getting reprinted in Modern Masters 2015. Mm -hmm. These are, like, the cards that, like, could be reprinted. Like, uh, also all the Infect cards. Every single one of them very well could have been in 2015, and, in fact, were originally. Almost, until yeah, they realized that, like, oh, this is a terrible draft environment with Infect in it. And so, like... And no one should play Infect anyway. Gosh, And so, like... And then as soon, as soon as Modern Masters came out, as soon as the market was flooded with that, people were like, oh, well, oh, yeah, Gora's Vengeance is a deck, and we should probably get all of our copies of that card. Well, it's interesting because the spike didn't happen until the set was heavily drafted and then Modern Season began, right? Because it seemed like when it first came out, the prices slightly increased across the board, and then there was another big spike when everyone realized, oh, now is the time to buy in. And I think part of that... in. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's completely based off the fact that we got three GPs in a row, uh -huh. and every single one was yep. like, oh, here's an establishment of what the format is. Mm -hmm. Up to that point, people were like, Collective Company's doing okay on Moto, but, you know, Moto isn't the best translation to what possibly the format is going to be in the end, because right. of expenses, and because, you know, oh, I can do six two-mans with goblins, because it takes t ten minutes to do a round versus an hour. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's a different, you know, a different world than the real world. But as soon as these GPs happened and we saw, oh, Goro's Vengeance is a thing, Goblins is a, or Elves is a thing, Merfolk is a thing. These cards that were not reprinted and Merfolk was another gaping hole in the mas Masters of Modern, Modern Masters uh, printing run that like, you're like, oh, I'm going to grab these Mirror Regeries because they're not going to be reprinted for at least two years. Yeah. Uh, I was doing a pro video for a local LGS and like... Quoting 2,000 per a person a tournament on the regular is not that insane. We were even discussing, like, he was expecting a low turnout of 1,500 people at GP San Diego. And I remember two years ago when we went to GP, the last GP in San yeah. Diego, 700 people. And it was like, this is a small one, but it's, pr it's pretty regular. It's, That's insane. That's insane growth. That's over 50% growth. So when you look at the fact that modern events, in, in light of a new reprinting of a set, if modern events are getting, I mean, obviously modern masters was just an event, but if modern grand prix are getting twenty eight hundred, three thousand, thirty five hundred people showing up to play the format, that is a true sign of of the health of the format. And so going forward, if you look at this, the spikes, the history, and the growth of Magic as a, in, in the competitive space, what does the next even just two years between now and seventeen look like? What can we expect in terms of the cycle and the spikes? What do you think? I think they will come up with some unobtrusive ways to reprint cards that aren't modern masters. Dual decks, bros. Dual Something decks. Something like that. I, I think uh, they've come up with some new ways in the past few years to reprint cards, and I think they'll come up with some more. Um, I think they'll probably go even farther with mm -hmm. um, with the next modern masters. I, I think they're they're still dialing in. Uh, they're dialing it in because they don't want another chronicles. But I think they're they're noticing like, man, we're not going far enough. Yeah, that, that I think that was definitely the feeling is they went far and then they took it back a notch a little bit. I think with Modern Masters 2015, and I'm sure they're more than happy to push it push the envelope. But I mean, that's not more. for two more years, and I think they know. Well, I think I think 
I think a conspiracy two is on its way, and I think the first conspiracy was made. In fact, I don't think I know this that it was made pre the modern spikes. They actually had made conspiracy like three years ahead of when they like would normally make something, and just couldn't find a place to release to it put based it on in, the yeah. schedule. So like yeah. that was made. So there's a lot of legacy staples on that, like brainstorm, and so like this time around. If Conspiracy comes out again, which I, I am expecting it was successful and the word on the street that this is a possibility, they're going to lean much more on modern staples with some legacy staples, but they're going to have a little bit more of the modern staples in there. The Commander decks are also another place. They've even said that because Standard now rotates so quickly, they're going to be more willing to reprint modern cards in Standard sets, mm -hmm. in regular sets, because they no longer have core sets, so they have to be more diligent on making sure you get the important reprints into Standard. Well, it is interesting. Uh, there was a minute there just right around the time of GP Vegas, right that week and the following week where we're some, we were sort of like, oh, like here's a good price on a box of Modern Masters 15, and oh, it's a little overprinted. It got a little overprinted, and like it's already looking like that's nonsense. Like, mm -hmm. Give it six months, and none of that's even going to be remotely, not even remotely plausible. Like, right. The only thing that's going to tank, commons and uncommons, and some of the rares. I mean, okay, here's a good one for you. Daybreak Coronet. When I, when we, when at the pre-release, I opened two of them in a draft, and I took them both for money's sake. Right. At the time, they hadn't dropped completely. They are like 14-ish at the time. 15, 16, they dropped from like 24 or whatever. Right. They're at like 7 or 8 on eBay right now. You can get like a playset for 30 right. bucks. What do we expect a card like Daybreak, a four of in one modern deck, and only one modern deck, that is not even a tier one deck? What do we think a card like that? What like that's the that's the sort of what you have to ask yourself because the mythics everyone knows will be fine. Uh, cards like that you have to look at what other price barriers are in that same deck. So Horizon Canopy. Horizon Canopy is in that same deck, and Horizon Canopy is is next in line following the Red Greenland Grove. Yeah, it's like forty bucks. Uh, so it's forty bucks right now. I wouldn't be surprised if that if it doesn't get reprinted soon. Also starts leaning on the seventy dollar mark. Um, so these are the type of card, like that's a card that prevents Daybreak Coronet from bouncing back as quickly. Mind you, I wouldn't be surprised if that's back to $15. Pretty Cause, quickly. Because that deck literally only has those two cards as expensive cards. It just tests the it. top eight one time right. for everyone to remember it. Mm -hmm. So that's, so if you use that as an analog for most, most modern rares, because as we said, you know, Vidalian Click, Tarmogoyf, Confidant, you can't print enough copies that Mythic of a card like that in a limited release set to really tank the value because they're staples in multiple formats. So they'll eventually rise back up. Yeah, um, but even if you look at the two sets, the real staple cards that they reprinted at rares didn't didn't get hurt that much. Right. Ravager went down five dollars in the long run. Cryptic Command went up. Yeah, Crypt uh, Cryptic's at 30, 30, 34. Spellskite right might actually be up now from before the printing of Modern Masters fifteen because it's, it's gone card, better. <laughs> the best card in modern. Every set seems to break the record as the most open set of all time. Um, what's kind of your policy with like evaluating? new mythics and in new sets and how do you treat these cards you have to have i know that you kind of view it in the long game you have to look at when when it's rotating from standard what's the approach you know like do you just hoard everything just it, it might be modern playable is it worth selling anything off i think you'll know by the time the card's ready to rotate whether it's playable in modern mm -hmm. like right now don't sell coursers don't sell th uh thoughtsies don't sell um Maybe. I'm actually trading my my. There, there's like non-rotating standard stuff and rotating standard stuff, and Thoughtseize is not not really a rotating card, is it? So if you can take 
you know, twelve dollars in Savage Knuckle Blades and twelve uh, trade it for twelve dollars in Thoughtseizes. Why wouldn't you? Right. Like it's only going up from this moment in time. Other than maybe a small dip that you can ride, no problem. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. what about a card like? Okay, let's look at some things that are going to rotate here, but this standard format that are mythics that haven't seen modern play, but. But so, uh, what's the what's the triple blue wave, cr- wave crash elemental? Is that what I'm thinking of? Yeah, blue blue blue. Okay, so that's a card that's never seen modern play, pretty much. I mean, I, I'm sure there's been a fringe deck or two that's played it, but it's a mythic. It's a small set mythic, right? It's in dragons. Mm-hmm. Right here. Yeah. So a card Is it a like mythic? yeah, definitely. yeah. Okay. Card like that. Uh, it's, at, it's at three mana, which puts it in like you know, <laughs> it's a, it's fringe modern playable if you built around it because at three or less you can get away with it. It's unique and it's you know a mini version of a card that's been playable in constructed formats. It has Do, been. I mean, I, I, I will say that if there is a mono blue devotion due to the like few pieces that that deck has been received in Master um, Magic Origins, it might see standard play. I don't think that card's ever going to be played in mono. All right, I'll give you a better example: Master of Waves. Master of Waves. I pick a card... all those up. I pick those up all day. So you you just buy them aggressively now and assume that in two years Master it's of Waves. It's not that sold... expensive, and it's a mythic from a set that people weren't that fond of 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 the like super open set. Theros is relatively unpopular versus some other ones. Sure. So like this is a card that doesn't have a lot of competition for the expensive card in the set and is, like, the reason or one of the reasons that Merfolk is nutso. Sure. Yep. yep. And it, there's there's about only, like, 10 or 12 cards, really, that you want. Um, more this time around because there are 15 gods and a lot of them are pretty good. Mm-hmm. And they're all um, casual favorites forever. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Staples and or, yeah. yeah, they're, like, they're gods. It's the same reason yeah. Eldrazi... The non-Emerical Eldrazi will always be expensive. It's because they're giant. (laughs) So this time we have like 30 cards instead of 15. And then, you know, you you got five fetch lands. You got Thoughtseize. You know, from from Theros block, there's there's more cards than normal. But still, the stuff that isn't that and the stuff that's not going to be as good, stuff from uh, like Khan's block, that is going to be less good when it doesn't have... um, you know, uh, the stuff from Theros block propping it up. Those That's are the what stuff you, you just, I, I think you just trade that. Like I'm not, I'm not in for cash on, uh, on any of the Theros block stuff right now, but I'm, I would definitely be trading heavily, you know, for into the stuff that, yeah. And yeah. I mean, like I, and up I wouldn't trade forces. siege rhinos into it. Cause there's, you gotta be thinking about what you want long-term like next block, there's only really rotation. two cards from cons block that i'm super excited about you know there's the you know there's the fetch lands in cons block obviously but i mean i really like siege rhino and tassiger and everything else is sort of meh you know um, yeah there's some there's some other good stuff but like well, the, with so the... many cards in, in in theros block to to look at there's why would you hold anything that isn't one of those 30 good cards right and oh. and i mean like Dragons has some cards in it, but from Khan's regular block, you're definitely like there's Ugin is a good trade target. That's Fate Reforged, yep. right? The block. Oh, the block. Right. Yeah, 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 just, sorry, just yeah. from the block. Uh, yeah. There's like the Elder Dragons, other than maybe the Black Red one, I'd probably lean on because Elder Dragons classically have always been really popular, especially if they saw any amount of standard play. Right. I think even Colagan being a worthless EDH card <laughs> might have some upside. It is, I mean, yeah, and part of that is also people, like, dragons are kind of like angels used to be to a certain right. extent, or maybe still are, and dragons are, like, kind of the original. There are people that are like, no, I want a foil of every dragon ever made, period. Yeah, yeah, oh, people yeah. have dragon collections. They post on Reddit all the time. Yeah, so, I opened, look at all my dragons. I opened a, uh, at the at the pre-release for 
uh, wait, wait, dragons, mm-hmm. dragons, dragons are the elder dragons, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I opened a, a foil Dromica, like not not like the promo one, but like a real one, and it was like you know ten bucks or it was down to like six or something like that. I think I'm just gonna put it in the binder and not trade it for like two or three years, and it'll be like forty bucks in like two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's exactly. Like, look at the and, old, and like, you know that, right? Yeah. Like, like, I... You just know that's the truth. That is what is going to happen. So the question is why just go out and buy all the foil dragons now, except for Ojedai, because it's going to probably not be more expensive later, because it's in standard. <laughs> it's true. Well, that's the other thing, is when you're on... If you're trying to play a market, it's always better to look at, oh, which cards are, like, six-ish or yeah. lower. Because when you're like, oh, I dropped 50 bucks on one Ojitai, and if it goes up to 60 bucks, yeah, yeah, yeah. woo! Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, so here, here this is this will ask like a, sort of a larger, more macro question, and this will be like, so this is like the last future of Magic question I ask. Um, my older brother taught me to play Magic in 1995, alright? You have he, an older brother? Yeah, you didn't know that? New no. things on this podcast are being found out every <laughs> Everyone day. Everyone learned the thing. <laughs> He's nine years older than I am, so in 1995, yeah. he had all the moxes and everything, and... 95, he, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. 14. Uh, yes, no. <laughs> no, he was, I, what am I, 27? Math is hard. <laughs> Math is hard. Yeah, yeah. Finance, oh, <laughs> headache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, anyway, he, he's older than I am. So the point is, he taught me to play Magic back then, and he played Magic on and off for a long time. He had a full set of Arabian Nights. A lot of stuff got stolen over the years, but um, by not by me. Just, just to make that clear. Though I did Good when I, spec. Though when I was like six, I did steal a Mox Ruby, and he was like, where's my Mox Ruby? I was like, this kid at school just gave this to me, I swear to you. And he was like, he was like give it back. Um, but uh, but anyway, that, that aside, the other day I was explaining this theory, the same one I had uh, just a minute ago about mm-hmm. buying sealed product, because it's for years I've tried to do chaos drafts and things and, and spec prices online, and it just seems like it's, unre- it's unreasonable how expensive these older sets are. Right. So I explained this to him, and he just was like, you really think the game is just going to stay healthy forever? Like it'll just it, it, at some point won't just they'll you think they'll just keep making good cards every year forever? And I was mm-hmm. like, yes, <laughs> I can't imagine. Like, can this is the question? Can you guys imagine a world where the bottom falls out of Magic? Like, can you well, imagine it? I can't imagine Magic still being around in ten years, but I can't imagine it not being around in ten years. Yeah, that's a good right. way to put it. I, the, something would have to kill it. Something either oh, yeah, either yeah. Wizards yeah. decides, you know what? Modern Masters 2015 and regular went great. We're just going to print infinite boxes. Whoever wants one can have one. But and then that crashes people the market. would still play it. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I and mean, in like, five years, the player base would have increased again and it would be worth money again. And, <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing I grew up in Seattle, and so did you, Ben. And this was the city of collectible card games. Like, yeah. when, when I was there, so many card games came out, and it would be the thing where every two years you'd see another company die. Star Wars game, LOTR, like all yeah, of yeah. Even Legend of the Five Rings, even the ones that, that have stayed popular over the years, nothing has competed with Magic. And right. you see the exact same thing happen when World of Warcraft came out. It was the first of its kind it dominated the market and so many people were releasing their own versions of mmos and everyone's like is this going to be the next wow killer and of course none of them were the wow killers right the only the thing... fact that people prefer mobas was the wow killer exactly right. yeah, and yeah. that's the only thing that i can see changing the fate of magic is if something like hearthstone or just a different kind of similar game i think i but... think magic's relationship to streaming and magic's relationship to coverage is its biggest weakness i yeah. think the fact that league of legends hearthstone Heroes of the Storm, all these other games, and some of them are trading card games, have a better presence there. 
is the biggest weakness Magic faces. Magic is owned by a massive multinational corporation that's I mean, investing. Activision is a massive multinational. No, no. <laughs> I'm saying Magic is is clearly over the last four or five years putting way more time and money into developing the online clients that that promote this, and like it's, yeah. it's becoming far far more familiar online. It is, and it's slowly getting there. But it feels like in the same way that Josh and I were like, hey, how are there not a, like how are there no podcasts on the LR level for Commander? And we just started it and kind of shot to the top because of it. It's the same thing like. You couldn't do that with League of Legends right now, right? You can't just be like, hey, who doesn't have a League of Legends podcast? Let's do that and be the first, you know. So it's interesting right. because Magic is, they're like turtling their way. They're just slowly working their way to being relevant. And part of that is the slowness that the toy industry moves in, in yeah. general. Like, like and just I mean, Hasbro's this is a giant company. Hasbro's a giant company and the giant Hasbro's companies are still of selling old. Angry Birds merchandise right. years <laughs> after everyone stopped caring. So like that, they, they move with the fads immediately, but then moving, like once you're in a trajectory, it's like space. Once you throw a rock, it's really hard to get it to change directions. Right. But throwing the rock is really easy. Oh, so like man. getting started isn't hard for them. It's stopping. <laughs> yeah. And just sort of altering the direction. The, or... the other thing that I do want to say that could kill magic is if the movie is terrible and they market the crap out of it because they will. And it just like turns off... A, Every new player from a point on looking mm-hmm. at it and offers zero growth to the format. I have a very hard time believing that's going to be the case. The people that they're getting involved with it are yeah, they like... Have Game of Thrones writers and yeah. the producer yeah. that like did I the mean, good X-Men I mean, they're just X-Men tossing movies. money at it yeah. for a good Here's reason. what you do. You take the magic novel arena, <laughs> you make it into a movie, and then you retire to your, you know... Your brand new house on the French Riviera or something. Right. With all your money. <laughs> I thought you were, were going to be like, you take the magic novel arena, you burn it, and then write a new script. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, I don't know. I, you can see magic making the right moves in a lot of ways because their design team and R&D is smart. Yeah, uh, you, you see them focusing on planeswalkers, on heroes, and it's the same thing that you know Hearthstone does with the you play a person. It's the same thing that League of Legends does. You play a specific person, right? And have... you are that is a person like, and, and that translates so well to the movie format that it they're making the right steps. They're just sometimes it just is frustrating seeing how slow they move in other arenas. I have faith, I and mean, actually, I don't see magic going anyway. I'm saying these are like. These are what would have to happen. These are yeah. what would have like they'd have to make it. I think it, to be totally honest, if you look at like what the story is for what we're getting in Magic Origins, we're given we're being given what the movies are going to be. Oh These yeah, these five absolutely. stories are going to be the first five Magic stories, and, and then and, and, and then it, they'll they'll like sequel into Eldrazi and they'll sequel into New Phyrexia. But like this is what we're getting. I can already see the trailer for the first Eldrazi, the bombs when it comes out. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so easy. It's got, it's so yeah, sweet. Christopher Nolan just to direct the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give Christopher Nolan nineteen million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I. I but yeah. So I guess to move to the next, or do you have something? Go. No, 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 no. I just that was my that was my question was essentially like, modern or no modern? Like, this is not. We're not dealing with extended part two here. This is like its own animal. This is not something that just gets played because people have to play it. There's a huge amount of love for it, and multiple multiple price spikes from multiple multiple staples proves that. Yeah. I genuinely think as long as Magic stays healthy. And they've seen it. They've seen the success of this. I don't see them like torpedoing modern somehow. Yeah, here's the, I was talking about this on I was on the MTG Focus podcast yesterday or today. I guess it was released, and I was kind of going about this like the sign of a healthy format is diversity. Yeah, for from a player base. From I like having fun playing this game. It's diversity, and so right now modern is very diverse. And the only people that complain about that are heavy level pros that want there only to be two decks in the format. They're, like, if you look at the pros who complained about Matt Modern recently, a lot of them are the ones that were like, yay, Cobblade. 
this is the best format ever because it felt like they were playing chess and they could capitalize on how good they were. Because all you need to do is like, that's what Jerry T is so good at figuring out how to win the Cobblade Mirror. Right. But the Cobblade Mirror doesn't matter if only 5% of the format's Cobblade. Right. But if 55% or 70% of the format's Cobblade, that mirror is all that matters because that's your top eight. Right. And so, so like, from a pro's perspective, yeah. modern isn't good for them. But from every other player's perspective, and that's what drives the market, like, modern pro tours are one of the higher streamed ones. Those are the ones that people go and look at. These GPs and the legacy GPs even are huge because people like playing this format. Yeah. It's and just so well, much bigger and feels powerful. Legacy that they could actually reasonably get into. Right. And that's what modern has turned into. Mm -hmm. um, the thing I see happening, I want your guys' opinion on this. Could they have to add another format to bridge the gap between standard and modern? The oh. way modern is bridging the gap between legacy and standard. Because, because the price barrier? Could, would they re yeah, well, could, could modern just be ridiculous? Like, yeah, Dark Confidant, that was 20 years ago. I don't have a Dark Confidant. You know? <laughs> like, that Master Mage was 12 years ago. How am I supposed to get one of those? Well, not, if I keep, would, not if they keep smartly not reprinting they keep cards. Reprinting, but there's, they can't print everything. So is there going to come a point where they need to reintroduce Extended? I, like, yeah, that's what I, I... And then everything, you know, ev everything ever that's not banned is vintage, then mostly everything ever is legacy, and then everything with the border is modern, and then... Everything with the little foil stampy is extended. I can <laughs> completely see them in five years, or more maybe, whatever that number is, reintroducing, reintroducing extended. Yeah. And be it four-year extended or seven-year extended, introducing some form of secondary standard rotation. Because eventually Modern's card pool gets big enough where, like right now we were talking about, there's 15 to 30 cards from Theros block when it rotates out that are probably good spec holds. And 15 of those are the gods, so really there's, like, you can on average look at 15 cards per set unless there's a, like, very good land cycle. And if that's mm -hmm. the case, that won't be the case in 10 years. The power level of all of the magic cards in Modern will grow larger than those 15. It'll become 6, 5, 4... Like, when Eldrazi first came out, the only card people were, like, really looking at at the time was Emrakul, because every other card on that set was bad compared to Legacy, and Modern didn't exist. Yeah, I'll, right. I would be interested to see what happens, because I feel like the with how they're, you know, because you can see in Origins with all the spoilers so far, they're definitely funneling towards the casual appeal, heavily. You know, a lot of the big cards, big casting costs, like the card that we spoiled, the Great Aurora, is like, that card is never going to see playing anything but EDH. Conspiracy is, the, is a set. Is the great the aura the one that gives all? It's a green board wipe oh, that oh, shuffles oh, everything oh, back oh, in your deck and everyone draws yeah. a bunch it's of cards. The, it's the warp world. Right, yeah, right. it's the green warp world. And so I would be fascinated to see if Wizards took something like that, like the big, crazy, flashy cards, and found a way to make a format that was almost a little sillier than standard and just like all about people playing giant things and timmying out all over the place. I mean, I know there are complaints about the format, and I know you guys especially don't like it, but mm -hmm. I could see something like Tiny Leaders becoming a, a more or and not necessarily that format but something similar to become a supported a secondary right. supported format by wizards well, like i think they'd like that because perhaps? they're sort of like we have all kind of ideas we've got plane chase and arch enemy and like literally the only thing that emerged from that pile was edh yeah. which was something that people cared about before they're not going to invent something that's going to be as good as edh they they realize that now 
So instead of doing plane chase and all that uh, stuff, I think what they're doing instead is kind of waiting. And maybe they do tiny leaders, but I don't. I don't think that's a real. I've never seen a game. No, of tiny I don't leaders. think it's going to be tiny leaders. I think it's going to be one v one because that helps them create. Well, it has uh, to be because you can't make competitive tournaments not one v one. Yeah, exactly. So I think they're going to want. So tiny leaders is kind of in the right direction, but that's, the whole yeah, that's why. Prem, yeah, but the whole premise of tiny leaders is just to again, it's like it's just it's like budget legacy kind of. So that's well, but that's a bad barrier that's to entry. Probably exactly like. what they want. I mean, they could they could extend the ban list to be a modern mm-hmm. out where it's you know. Tiny leaders, but you can't have cards on the reserve list. Or every card after what's the set? Urza's Legacy is the first set in with foils, Raymond. Really? No, with <laughs> oh yeah, that's just find a way to make a game of Magic faster. Yeah, yeah, fast. Start fun two lands or ten life or eight cards or something to make the game. There's enough. Because the, wacky the one ways. appeal of tiny leaders is you can play between rounds. They're like it's like popcorn. It's like five minute games. You mm-hmm. know, you can just. You can just break a game off real quick. And the commitment to that format is pretty low because, like, for instance, I have a Tiny Leaders deck. Not because I have a Tiny Leaders deck, but because I have a Geist EDH deck that I can just cut out all the cards that are six ma- or three or more mana. Right. And I'm just like, oh, well, here's 50 cards. Great. I can play this format. And, like, something that I've we've, like, worked on format creation before with, you know, Highlander Roulette, which is yeah. a format we play. And the biggest barrier to entry for people is, like, I have to make six decks. I have to make two decks right, or one deck right. is a commitment and so like something like tiny leaders where it's like oh i already did this and one of the reasons i think edh became so popular is because it's a small barrier to entry because it's literally everything that you can just like oh i want to play with this one legendary creature i have an ojatai great what's every blue white card i have i'm a new player Boom, oh have i have a 100 bam i have a deck yeah it's not great but it's multiplayer also so you're way less punished for playing bad cards yeah mm. true yeah yeah i mean that's the that's the difference um all right. Talking about Commander with Ben, who knows nothing about the format. <laughs> I, you, know, you know, I have played Commander before, right? Like, didn't I force you to play, maybe? No, if no, you no, played Highlander Roulette, you've essentially played Commander. No, no, back in the day in Seattle, oh, we, nice. there was a group of us that played, We, you know, you played EDH. Yeah. And we like to refer to it as Elder Dragon Highlander, and we never, ever abbreviated it. Nice. We liked using the word, like, Elder Dragon Highlander. In Denny's, we'd play all night. There was like a group of us that would go and. Was this when he had like bright neon blue hair and no. giant bo- cock coke bottle glasses? That was after. I it was must after. see these pictures <laughs> because <laughs> you are the classiest man I know. I had so. like hair down to my shoulders. What? Um, Amazing. And yeah, we used to go to Denny's at like ten or eleven p.m. There was like six or eight of us, and we'd go and we'd we'd play magic till six a.m. <laughs> this was in Ballard. You know the Denny's. On oh like yeah, I know exactly which one you're Martin, talking they about. They closed it. We used to go, we'd all order sampler platters at some point, have like a severe <laughs> heartburn from eating mozzarella sticks and onion rings and drinking milkshakes. Yeah, uh, I'd at two my, in the morning. I borrowed my dad's minivan. I was like 17. Uh, and uh, I had, yeah, I had like I had like three EDH decks. Um, I'm trying to recall. I had an Intet the Dreamer deck. I'm definitely sure of that. I have an Intet the Dreamer deck right here. It's funny you say that. Um, I, had, I had an Una, right, well, the Fae deck. <laughs> I, had, I had a Reaper King deck with all Scarecrows and Blink cards. That I, feel really like, I feel like we've somehow we should get Josh in here because we're on the command zone now. Yeah, you guys, welcome to the command zone. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong, and we're here with special guest Jason. Oh, second time on the podcast. Hey, Jason. Great rolling dice right, with you in glad Vegas. glad to be back and talking. How is it? It's Josh McFly. Oh, my anyway, goodness. Anyway, alternative formats. I was just trying to show my my, yeah. Show my EDH Look, the muscle. future. The future of Magic is because of formats like EDH. It helps Magic so much. Like Wizards just stumbled into the best crowdsourced like game they could ever have not created with EDH. You know it's what's you know amazing. what's fun and tournament players don't like to admit. 
if like tournaments stopped forever, Magic would still be fine for a really long time. <laughs> yeah, we exactly. don't matter. Like, hey, why don't you cater to the one percent of Magic players that are super <laughs> spiky? Because you don't matter. You don't buy cards at Walmart. Yeah, you know, you go buy the singles you want. You don't bust packs trying to get like the the number of people that mm-hmm. play at their kitchen table and buy their packs at Walmart, they outnumber the tournament players five to one. Oh, yeah. Oh, That's I, where the 38% yeah. of women players comes yeah. from. Everyone's Everyone's like, like, I've never seen a woman ever. Like, no. shut up. You are not playing unsleeved around the kitchen table, just having fun. Well, what's the... Yeah. We, always, we say that the, the, the worldwide estimated player base is somewhere between 26 and 30 million, from what I understand, and I believe only, like, 1.8% of them actually are tournament players. Yeah. <laughs> That's, like, pretty absurd. Like, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, 260,000, right? Is yeah. It's hard to figure out how many people actually play Magic. Yeah. And and it could be a much larger number than we think, a much smaller number than we think. But when it comes down to it, the casual player, as much as it hurts me to admit it, is the driving force between how this game is played. We are the ones that spend the money. that's why New World Order is important. That's why Mm -hmm. New World Order has brought us into this new era of Magic, and we're growing ridiculously every year. The fact that, like... 50% 50% tournament growth. That 1% is what we're seeing at tournaments is insane. Yeah. But, yeah, just just that conversion. Just getting those people that... There are people that are intimidated. They, like, they have 10, 20 decks. They post on the Magic subreddit every day, and they say they're intimidated to go to the pre-release. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, like, yeah. the pre-release is, is REL Bouncy House. Like, <laughs> oh, like, you forgot to attack? Well... Let's back up. Come back on. Up. Yeah, first main. Let's go, baby. Wait, you had a lightning bolt and he and he was would have been dead? No, no, you actually won the game. It, like it's the least intimidating thing ever. Yeah. Everyone's just dirtling. I go at midnight. Yeah. We play F and M, we go to the bar drink for three hours, <laughs> and then we and then we play the midnight pre release. It right. couldn't be less intimidating. So making the game uh, welcoming enough to those casual players and, and getting those people to be tournament people, because they're real evangelists for the game. Because once right. you convert a casual into a, not even a spike, into a into a, a pre-release attendee, <laughs> who will deign to go to FNM because it's not too intimidating. Like, well, it's, it's those a... people become real evangelists for the game. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a slippery slope, too. I mean, I remember the era of, oh, I refused to play with cards I didn't open in packs myself. Mm-hmm. Transferring to the oh, I bought like thirty dollars worth of cards on Star City Games too. Oh, I just dropped five hundred dollars at a GP buying all these staples at different things and like because oh, I had for play. my deck. Yeah. <laughs> the... I needed for my three EDH decks, my seven Legacy decks, and my four Modern decks. <laughs> but the beauty, but the beauty of the evolution of Magic players, like the thing that's so wonderful about being a Magic player is that every one of us goes through our process. So like, you know that I'm a wacky brewer, and like anybody who listens to this podcast, no, podcast knows it. But like. A semi-competitive modern deck that plays cards that seem wacky but is able to win 50% of its games is significantly better than the casual decks playing four Intet the Dreamers and four Dovescapes and four Proteus Staffs. Proteus Staff? Mm. From years ago. That I used to just... I'd call my friends the same amount that I call Alex now. But they were bad decks, but I enjoyed them. <laughs> so my, my point is, uh, like, the Highlander Roulette format, Foil Highlander Roulette, as right. it's called, was created by guys that were like... Let's play 100 foils we have. You can only play cards that are foil. There's no proxies, <laughs> and they have to be foil. So let's play Island Roulette. You can't have more than one. Right. And they all had like all these crappy foils lying around, two, three, four hundred foils. And those were the decks. Yeah. They were horrible commons that you'd take as the last picks in drafts. And then, I mean, I, I've talked to Eric about, and he is one of the 
creators of the format, how it was created. Really what it was is they had six EDH decks and they hated the fact that they would just play the same game. So to add mm -hmm. one more level of randomness, they would roll off to see which of their EDH decks they'd play. And the roulette was born. And that's where roulette came from. Yeah. And that, that's where that format is. And it makes it super diverse, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We've talked about we'll, this We'll do another episode later on. But, um, but okay, so you know, we're to, to kind of get closer to wrapping it up, we did ask you guys, all of our favorite Twitter followers, uh, questions Hello, on Twitter. the internet. Uh, and to remind you now, because we didn't at the beginning of the podcast, we are at the MM cast, and you should uh, tweet at us right now before I read this question, because then we'll respond. All right, now getting into it. We asked all you guys, is the modern finance bubble sustainable? Do you find the modern format too expensive? And the answers we got. Yes, no, maybe, perhaps, perchance. This is the rap about the answers. Uh, end boss <laughs> at the end boss. We, we finally reached you. Uh, Got to you, buddy. <laughs> Mother brain, you're going down. It's pretty hard to say modern is an affordable alternative to legacy when Snapcaster costs as much as Force of Will. Hmm. Mind Good you, point. you need Snapcaster mages and Force of Wills for legacy, so... Boom! <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> I never really thought of that, about that, that like Force of Wills when I was playing legacy, that was like the card, but it was only like 70 or 80 bucks. Still like 70 or 80 bucks. Yeah. yeah. Snapcasters are more than that. Yeah, like, Liliana's Snapcasters all of them more than Force of Wills. Modern's a more played format. There you go. Yep. Um, and that's kind of what you were saying before. The, the legacy bubble has kind of popped. Right, it stopped going up. So, like, the fact that, you know, legacy cards have kind of plateaued and mm -hmm. modern is still spiking literally as we speak. Someone's probably doing a buyout. Well, <laughs> the legacy cards are based on organic demand and uh, the, the, the modern prices seem predicated on an artificial reduction in supply. Right. right. Not, and not to mention they, they kind of come involved with there's a season. Like, yep. we all are forced to play it right now if we want to try and get on a pro tour where, and if that's happening, then my buddies who don't necessarily go to pre-TQs but play with me then have to keep up with me. So, like, those two factors cause it to be more expensive versus Legacy, which is like, I get to play Legacy once a, once a season, maybe, yeah. <laughs> if I find a Legacy tournament. Um, all right. So TP at Twitpocalypse says, Thank you. new to the format, it's expensive to get some of the stables and that has kept me on cheaper decks. I debate buying snaps, goifs, and lilies, but figure my burn and fish decks are all right for now. Guess that means it's too expensive to have access to most of the decks, but having one you know that isn't bad, too bad in my opinion. So that, that makes sense. There are some definitely competitors. I mean, Merfolk won the GP, correct? Yeah. yeah. I feel like if fish is the deck you have, you're in a good place. And mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's funny because, like, it was a budget deck, and that's why a lot of people were on it, and it's going to get more expensive by virtue of people playing it. Mm -hmm. What's the card out of that deck you'd buy? Uh, uh, Corbin's pick of the week on the podcast this week was Silver Gale Adept because it's lagging behind cards like Mara Ridgery in uh, – in realizing its its correct price, so I think silver gill adept is a little bit underpriced right now. How do you guys like that new red silver gill adept? <laughs> Real sweet, right? Yeah, that's an interesting card. I can easily see the next event or the next modern event deck being if they do another one. Being if they do folk. another Merfolk, one, because yeah. the yeah. first one, yeah, that would be fine. And you know what? They that actually accomplished some things. It made Kataki like reasonable, but nobody is talking about how reasonable Kataki got. Right, right, right. Uh, well, it, so, I mean, Inquisition uh, I don't, of Kozlak is that, also like, a card that's like they made a lot of baffling decisions, like reprinting um the one fetch, Verdant Catacombs wasn't that in there? No, 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 no it wasn't. And that, that was Marsh Flats in, in there would have been good. Yeah, there's there's just a lot of weird decisions surrounding that, and I think. Hopefully they listen to the feedback they got, and if they do another one, I think they will do a much better job. Yeah, right. I mean, seventy-five dollars is a nutty price point, but not if like 
your deck 75% of the way to to a, a modern deck. That's actually a real good right. buy. Well, like, and that's where, where Merfolk would kind of be good, I feel like, because that's a deck that, like, you could be a little wacky. They could include cards like Coralheim Commander and other things that, like, maybe aren't necessarily what you would actually play and mm-hmm. allow players to kind of tune it to be better. But you can, like, most of that deck is just really expensive because of uncommons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, enough $7 uncommons, it starts to really add up. And Burn's another one they could do. They jam two idle onto the Great Revel, and then you only have to you only have to track down two. And you play something, you have you have a deck that you can play, and as you trade for more stuff, you add stuff to to uh, to make it better. Because Modern's not a GP-only format anymore. It's not a special event. Like there are modern FNMs, so just having a modern deck together, you could pay seventy five bucks and play like twenty six FNMs a year. You know, with that deck, that seems like a pretty good investment. Mm, right. I wish I wish my LGS had like was running like modern FNM with like eighteen players every Friday. I've asked them they God, would use for whatever reason. Yeah, it's, it's because it's because the uh, the friend of the podcast who runs that store is a bit of a troll when it comes to accommodating requests like that. <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah, that's very true. Uh, all right, so one last Twitter before we kind of do the sign off. Uh, Nick Canner asked, I think that there will always be a demand for non-rotating formats. Modern will always be a cheaper, more widely played alternate to Legacy. Kind of talked about that already. Yeah. Yeah. Can't disagree with that just yeah. because Legacy just in general has, you know, du- the original dual lands. <laughs> I don't right. think those prices my are going to get beat My favorite format. Legacy is my favorite format. Um, yeah, I mean, like, Legacy is really sweet. There's only a few cards really that I can think of in Legacy where I'm like, I sure wish that, that deck, ha- you know, had legs in Modern or like I wish that I could be playing... There's only a couple, really, truly. I mean, yeah. and and even some of the cards I love so much in Legacy, I'm, not, I'm even just like, okay, it's not even on the list, so reprint it. Re- just reprint uh, Baleful Strix. I'm fine with it. I want to see it come in. Yeah. Well, they did, actually. They yeah, the Commander said. Commander deck. Yeah. So I, I'm actually going to read two more because we that was kind of too similar to what we've already talked about, and then we're going to end it. Uh, Alexander Britt, Snapbolt Alex. Modern has a high initial buy-in, but it's cheaper than standard over time. Modern is the most affordable spike format, in his honest opinion. I agree with that. Just because standard is rotating and, and you're just wasting money on like a, like a thirty dollars Sarkin after three Dragon years Speaker, of modern you know? uh, of playing Legacy, you could have probably bought in the two modern decks mm-hmm. if you just spent your money wisely. The difference is that's three years of waiting to play Magic, right? Versus playing right now, right? Well, there's the same the same complaint that people had about Legacy is true of modern. People are like, man, I don't want to drop two grand on a modern deck, and then they pay five hundred bucks every three months for standard. Which is why I don't play standard, <laughs> among other reasons. And then, last but not least, kind of the dissenting voice, Stoneforge Tassiger at Stoneforge T, who had to have like came Too to high Twitter like cards, recently. By the yeah. Way, yeah. $12 uncommons, $40 spikes for staples. You can now only play one deck affordably. It's only a matter of time before $50 shocks. And this is actually speaks to a, a conversation that we were having with some people on Twitter just the other day um, about the. You know, I believe your comment, Kessler, from the Kessler account, not from the MM account, was pick up your shocks now. Yep. Um, pick them up. Now's the time. They're going to go up. Never getting cheaper. Never get cheaper. Somebody never. argued that he didn't think, you know, because of the long-term value. He didn't. He thought they were they were overprinted enough. But uh, I... No disagree. way. Yeah. Abrupt Decay was in the most up and open set of all time, where almost every single card in that set is worth nothing, and Abrupt Decay is worth something. It's like 18 or 18 Yeah. Invest <laughs> in real estate, dog. Oh, Deathrite Shaman. That's the next shoe to drop, man. Oh, yeah. Well, Deathrite, the, I don't know why Deathrite Shaman hasn't gone up already. Because it, it, it got banned in uh, Modern, and people are like, yeah, it was banned. I don't want to 
commit to something like that. Yeah, it's never gonna unban mod. There's no way. It's an, it is um it is banned. I mean, sorry, it was banned. It's never, never gonna be unbanned. It's never getting unbanned. Yeah, unbanned. Yeah. yeah, probably not. Um, I would agree. Um, the one argument against shocks versus fetches is that most modern decks that play shocks play them as a two of or a one of with a bunch of fetches as opposed to fetches which are four of. So that's that's the biggest argument yeah. against their long term price going up. EDH has appeal though because again they say the word mountain, plains, swamp. You know, True. that's literally all you need to see from a dual land. Right, and right now what's actually happening is all of those random cycles of lands that have seen a ton of play in modern, but people are like, but fetches and shocks are important, are now all spiking. All of the fast lands are spiking. Yeah. Sulfur Falls is now a $15 card. Yeah, all like, of the, uh, the, the filter lands as the well. The filter lands are all over 30 <laughs> That's uh, That's crazy. Uh, and we just talked about all of the future site ones are just ridiculously expensive. So yeah, so that's, that's it for the podcast uh, today. I want to thank our wonderful guests. Uh, we got bonus guests today with Jimmy Wong. Whatever I'm, I don't even play and, modern. And, <laughs> and the wonderful Jason Alt, thank you. Uh, where, where, where's the best place for people to find you? I know. I mean, at first I'll just automatically shout. Brainstorm Brewery is obviously the easiest way. But what are some good ways to find you, Jason? Uh, I write for MTG Price. Um, I sort of oversee digital content on BrainstormBrewery.com. You can find me on Twitter at Jason E Alt. I opened up my Facebook a little bit um, to uh, to randos <laughs> following me, so that's a thing. Can um, that mean randos can also harass you? <laughs> it means I everything. Mean, yeah, if they if they really want, but like uh, I won't go down without a fight. <laughs> <laughs> also, if you guys need an excellent craps partner, Jason Alt is the king of the Nickelback. We had a blast in Vegas. One of the all most memorable. Yeah, all about that Nickelback. So keep your eyes open in 2017. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, now, and Jimmy, obviously, the Command Zone. That's right. If you guys like EDH or Commander, check out the Command Zone podcast at CommandCast on Twitter or on RocketJump.com slash the Command Zone. You can find us there as well as the Master of the Modern podcast on the same website. Yeah. And, you know, follow us. We're at the MMCast. Follow us now. Go do yeah. it. If you're not or, doing it already, what, what's what are you, what's wrong with you? Why are you listening to a podcast? Don't follow on Twitter. <laughs> right. That's yeah, exactly. Man, I, wish I wish I knew what these guys were up to. When the next <laughs> coming out. And Kessel, where can they find you? Uh, I'm at Kess Wiley. I'm pretty much everything. Or Xander Five Seven Four. If you want to play some Destiny, you can ah. find me at, at Ben Bateman Media on social media platforms. Nice. Yeah. All Very right. Nice. Thanks, guys. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Au revoir. Bye, guys. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator. <laughs>